Will you pray with me? Father in heaven, we ask and pray now that as we come to this portion of our worship service wherein we hope to open up our Bibles and hear your will and read your word, Lord, that you would use the very same Holy Spirit who inspired these words to illuminate our hearts and open up our minds. And Lord, that you would pour your truth into them so that we would live from them and show out of them the hope that we have in Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Well, this morning we're going to be turning in our Bibles to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. As a congregation at Bethel, we've been making our way through the book of 1 Corinthians, and so um, I'm going to be uh, using one of the passages that uh, we've already studied uh, to study with you here this morning. Um, and if you know anything about uh, the Corinthian congregation, you know uh, that it was filled with any number of controversies and any number of challenges um, of, of all of the churches that the Apostle Paul ministered to. It was the Corinthian congregation where, where you see in a sense, the the, the most significant and and rampant worldliness um, of of any of the churches. Now, each one of the churches had its own struggles. I already referenced um, the church in Galatia, right? The Galatians, they they struggled with what is the very nature of the gospel as, as they were allowing that gospel to be robbed from them, taken from them as, as they were um, being influenced by these, by these uh, false teachers. And, and yet, having said that, when you come to Corinth, um, you have things being practiced and things being lauded and praised that, that not even the Gentiles themselves were comfortable talking about. So you had incest that was taking place in, in, in full, wide knowledge of the church and no one's doing anything about it. Because it wasn't that big of a deal. You had marriages breaking down. You had unbelievable divisions as already is introduced in the first chapter. Where you, have, right, you know that the, 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 the statements that they, were, that they were making, I am of Paul, I am of Paulus, I am of Cephas, and the pious few saying, I am of all kinds of problems. They were living like the world. And they lived like the world because they thought like the world. They thought like the world. That's interesting. Paul here is going to put an incredible focus on the thinking, right, the thinking of God's people. Sometimes when we think of Christian living, we think of Christian doing, right? So so Christian living equals Christian doing. So so the Christian life is about Christian actions, right? And and that makes sense to, to a certain degree, to a large degree. We've already read God's will for our lives. God's will for our lives. The Ten Commandments. 
What are the Ten Commandments? They, they are the commandments that God calls us to do, to, to express in Christian living. We say that in the third section of the Catechism, that, that Christian gratitude shows itself in Christian doing. So you have the Ten Commandments, but then you also have, right, as we're going to be looking at uh, later on this afternoon, God willing, to look at the Lord's Prayer. And what's the Lord's Prayer? The Lord's Prayer is, Lord, help us to live out that will. And you see that throughout Scripture, Romans 12, what is that? Practice what it is that you believe. Ephesians 4, put off the old man, put on the new man. And all throughout Scripture, right, you have have this whole idea that, that the Christian life is the living out of the Christian faith. And yet oftentimes we we leave out a key component. And that is the mind. That if we just think of Christian living equals Christian doing and leave out the mind, then we've left out what is to be the motivation for the living of our faith. What drives our Christian living is to be our mind. Our mind that is fueled by and filled with an understanding of the gospel. That the reason why I live this way in my actions is because of what I believe and receive and know in my mind and what I inform my heart. It's the mind. And when my mind's not right, then my actions aren't going to be right. When my actions aren't right, it's because my mind's not right. The reason why the Corinthians were living like the world is because they were thinking like the world. They were caught up in the thought patterns of the world. And so Paul, in the passage that we're going to read here this morning and look at this morning, is challenging them. You have the mind Jesus. You have the mind of Christ. Use that mind to drive a life that glorifies Christ. That honors Him. That adores Him. That worships Him. So with that, let's let's get our text in front of us. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. I want to begin reading at uh, verse 6. We're going to read down to the end of the chapter. So 1 Corinthians chapter 2, beginning at verse 6. We read these words. Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would have not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. The Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? 
So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God. That we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this not in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit. Interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. This is God's word to you, his people. I want to look at three points that revolve around the idea of of wisdom, right? You you can see wisdom is in play here. He's talking about wisdom. And the first thing I want you to see is, is that he calls for the congregation to have an appreciation for this wisdom. An appreciation for this wisdom. An appreciation. And, and, and then the second thing we see here, beginning at verse 10, is the appropriation of this wisdom. Appreciation and then appropriation. In other words, How did you appropriate? How did you get this wisdom? How did you acquire this wisdom? And then the final point, beginning at verse 14, but really just that last verse, verse 16, is application from this wisdom. So appreciation, appropriation, application, all revolving around this idea of wisdom. Now, if you have your Bibles open, it might be helpful to have your Bibles open here a little bit because um, we need to do just a little bit of legwork here in in some of the previous things that Paul has said just so that you can see this. Because up to this point, it it looks like Paul is really beating up wisdom pretty good. Right? So so if you look at just just before verse 6, look look at verse 4, chapter 2. He said, and my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom. They, they were not in that, but in demonstration and spirit and power so that you might not rest in the what? In the wisdom of men, but the power of God. Okay, back the bus up just a little bit further. Go to verse 1, chapter 2. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or what? What's the word? Wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. So at this point, it looks like Paul is just like really beating up wisdom. Like he's totally against wisdom. Now what you need to understand here is that the congregation in in Corinth thought of themselves as a bit sophisticated, right? They they were the kind of the elites of society. They were were the ones reading Plato and Socrates. And and, and they were the ones that just kind of having this kind of discussion. Other people are talking about the weather and the upcoming farming season. And they're like, "Mm, nope, not us. We read Socrates. We read Plato. We're, We're into the sophisticated sophisticated, which is root word Sophia, which is wisdom. We're into the things of wisdom. And at this point, it looks like Paul is just battering wisdom and just beating it up. But he's not against wisdom. 
at all as we see when we come to verse 6. It looks like it, but he's not. If you've ever gone to the doctor before and had a little pep talk maybe about your health or your diet or your weight, or if you've ever had to go to a nutritionist before, you got to talk about what you're eating, and it seems like they're totally against food. Like, you can't eat this, and 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 you're like, are you, are you against food? No. But I'm against junk. I'm against the garbage that goes in because garbage in, garbage out. This is the stuff that's going to kill you. Okay? So you need to eat better food. This is the stuff that's going to promote your health. This is the kind of stuff that's going to be good for your, for your arteries and it's going to be good for your cholesterol and whatever else it is that they say, right? So, so I'm not against food. I'm against the stuff that's killing you right now. I am for the stuff that's bringing you life. And so Paul up to this point is saying, no, I am against the kind of wisdom that is killing you. I'm against wisdom that is death. That that supposedly says that is life. And I'm for the wisdom that you think is no wisdom at all. And here we need need to receive this, don't we? we? We need to hear this. That there is a wisdom in this world that is death and there is a wisdom that God has revealed that, that is life. Because it's right here in the Corinthian congregation that things began to go off the tracks. Because they look at the Apostle Paul and what he was teaching and go, no, that, that's not wisdom. That's not wisdom. Do you know how many young people we lose at their high school who go off to their university, go off to their college, and go, you poor people in West Olive, you poor people in West Michigan. Like, I am learning from the elites of society. I am learning from people who have PhDs in Ivy League schools. They have wisdom. Or now I'm in my career. Now I'm in the real world. Now I'm out of the bubble of West Michigan and, and, and like the Dutch ghetto. And now, now I see things as they are. And, and you think that this is really wisdom. You're against Wisdom. How many young people have we lost? How many young adults have we lost? On this very point, Paul says, we are not against wisdom. We are against the wisdom that can only keep you dead. Right? We're against the wisdom that can only keep you dead. We are very much for the wisdom that makes you alive. So look at what he says. Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom. There's the, the little, 
It's kind of like Paul is saying, hey, guys, it's going to sting a little bit, okay? <laughs> this part that's going to pinch a little bit. It's going to sting. Because what's he saying? He's saying among the mature, they're going to receive the things that are being said in terms of the gospel. They're going to receive this. This is wisdom. But among the immature, they're going to go, it's not. But the mature look at it and go, this is. Now here's the thing. Again, if you have your Bibles open, look at chapter 1, verse 2. To the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, so they're sanctified, called to be saints, so they're sanctified, they're saints. It's not as though the Corinthian congregation, in a sense, is immature. They are mature. They're sanctified in Christ. They're saints. It's that they don't appreciate what they have. They're stuck in a place of immaturity because they're not spurring one another on in the hope of the gospel. And so he says, yet among the mature we do impart wisdom, although it's not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age, and here's this idea, who are doomed to pass away. Okay, So their wisdom keeps them dead. Okay, Their wisdom does not have power to make them new, to, to make them alive. But the wisdom we impart does. Look at what he says, verse 7. And here again, he's, he's, he's saying this, he's impressing this upon them so that they appreciate. We need to mentally, cognitively appreciate what we have. Verse 7, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God. Now that's, that sounds tough, right? Because it's like, it's cryptic and it's um, hidden, it's secret. Like, do we need to learn some kind of passcode in order to, 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 to get it? Or like, hey, so-and-so, do you have the code for this? And we got to unlock it somehow. That's not the idea at all. The word here for secret could also be translated mystery. And you're like, no, nah, I'm not convinced that that helps me any. Um, but the word mystery in the New Testament is a very particular word that Paul uses that relates to something that was once concealed but is now what? Revealed. So mystery for Paul is not the same as mystery for us. It has a different sense. For Paul, mystery is something once concealed now revealed. Okay? So now look at this again, verse 7. But we impart a once concealed, now revealed wisdom of God. So it makes it a little bit easier to understand, right? But, but the problem here is going to be, all right, but what is that wisdom of God? Because that still seems to be a bit, like, cryptic, okay? Well, let me try to unlock that for you by pointing you to verse 24 of chapter 1. Again, here's where it kind of helps to have your Bible open, right? But, but verse 24, look at what it says. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the what? Wisdom of God. 
It's not what was once concealed, now revealed. It's who was once concealed, now revealed. And that's Jesus. Jesus is the wisdom of God. Jesus is the one who is the wisdom of God that unlike the philosophy and wisdom of this world that keeps you dead, here is the one who is once concealed, now revealed, who can what? Make you alive. This wisdom makes you alive. Now look at this. Because it just begins to unpack, right? Verse 8. None of the rulers of this age understood this. For if they had, they would have not have crucified the Lord of glory. So think about that, right? You have these people who are the power brokers of society and culture. And what does power equal? Power equals access. Okay? You want tickets to the, to the, to the I don't know, the big event. The big concert. You know, the, the, the big playoff game, March Madness, right? Like, man, I got to pay thousands of dollars to get tickets to March Madness. And, and I had to wait in line for hours or months or days or whatever it is, right? Because you don't have power. So you don't have access. You think someone with power has to wait in a line for three hours to get tickets to some event? No, because they have power. But Paul says, here are these people, the rulers of this age, with all their power. They don't have access to wisdom. Once concealed, now revealed. But you do. God saves that for you. He's given that to you. Not everyone else. You. Because you're his bride. And his love is exclusive to you. Think about that, right? Paul's saying, get your mind around that. That's yours. I don't know, I, I, I could be all wet right now, but, but in my mind, there's just something about, something bridal about that, something kind of wedding-like about that. Like, no one can see the bride, 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 and all of a sudden, a tune starts playing on the organ, mom stands up, the doors open, and at last you see something beautiful. And there is one up front that's looking down the aisle. And at last he sees her. It's all for him. It's all for her. Because of the bond between them. Again, maybe I'm all wet. Maybe it's just me being sentimental and sappy. But look at what Paul says. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. Who could imagine that God would give his only son for you? Who could imagine that? Who can imagine that the creator calls creation my son. 
my daughter. Who could imagine? God did. And from the mind of God to the saving of your life, He has done this. Yea and amen. Paul says, it's when we don't appreciate in our mind what we've received with our lives that we grow apathetic and indifferent and we think like the world and so we act like the world. But when we think like the world, think like the word, think like the gospel, our Savior, That's the difference. But how do we get that? Well, let's look at our second point. Appropriation. Appropriation. How how do we appropriate this wisdom? Well, look at verse 10. Because Paul here does something interesting. Because in one sense, he's been kind of beating up on Greek philosophical thought and everything else, right? But on the other hand, what, what Paul is doing at verse 10 is he's taking a principle from Greek philosophy, And that principle from Greek philosophy was like only knows like. Like only knows like. Okay, so just just bear with me here for a second because it seems maybe abstract. So just get the concept down, right? So like can only understand or be understood by like. Got it? So now let's illustrate it. My dog does not understand what it's like to be a human being, right? Why not? Because it's a dog. It's unlike me. A dog understands what it is to be a dog. Humans understand what it is to be human. I don't know what it's like to be a dog, and my dog doesn't understand what it's like to be me. Because we're different. Like understands like. Like only knows like. Got it? Good? Tracking? Okay. Let's go to our text. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. So the Spirit of God understands the depths of God, the fullness of God. Why? Because the Spirit is God. Like understands like. See, that's what Paul says. The Spirit searches even the depths of God. Knows, right? Look at verse 11. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So here's the finest point that you can put on it, right? I am me, and so no one in a sense understands me better than me. You, you don't understand me in a sense better than I understand me. You might understand things about me, but But I understand me, right? Because like knows like. So go on. So also no one comprehends. Now here's the negative. So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Do you know the depths of God? You're like, I don't know the depths of God. Do you know the wisdom of God? Well, no, I don't know the wisdom of God. Well, why not? Because I'm not God. Right. You're human. He's God. Finite. 
infinite, okay? It's like me trying to understand my dog. Not going to happen, okay? So notice what he says. So no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. But then look at what he says. Because how, how do you appropriate this wisdom then? If like only understands like, then how do you get this wisdom? Paul says, now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God. In order for us to understand the wisdom of God and appropriate that wisdom, he needs to make a bridge between us and our finiteness and him in his infinite divinity. So what does he do? He gives his spirit to us. So that we now, with his spirit, with the indwelling of the spirit, now like, we have the spirit, like, can understand like. Look at this. That we might understand the things freely given us by God. So that like can know like, he gives you his spirit so that you can understand now what he has freely given to you. This is when it gets good. What's he freely given you? Jesus. Flesh that out. Like literally flesh that out. He has given you Jesus. And who is Jesus? Jesus is the second person of the Trinity who is God Almighty who took on the likeness of man so that he would know us. So that like would know like. And in like knowing like, He gives us his spirit so that we who are unlike him might know him. Now maybe this is like, man, I I feel like there are a lot of dots and we've got to connect all this, right? I get that, but stand in awe and wonder of what God has done for you that you may appropriate and have and hold and understand this wisdom. He has given you His Spirit so that through the Spirit you could see what He has done in His Son to become like you in every way sin accepted so that on Good Friday He could lay down His life for His friends. What's the application of this? It's very simple, right? I mean, I understand 14 through 16. I mean, that's a, that's, a, that's a big paragraph, right? And there's a contrast between the natural person and the spiritual person and everything else. But just let's, let's keep it simple. Verse 16. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? And you think it ends at that point. You go, yeah, exactly. Who has understood the mind of the Lord so they can instruct him? Like, no one. And notice that last line. He goes, no, there's an answer to that question. And it's you. 
you have the mind of Christ. You have the spirit of Christ. And that's not just a statement of fact. It is. But it's a statement of identity. And if there's something we desperately need to remember in the times in which we live, it is our identity. We don't go into this world as just anyone. We go into this world as those who are the holders of the mind of Christ, the Spirit of Jesus, those who have access to the privileges of the once concealed, now revealed. You have the mind of Christ. Because you have that mind, use that mind. We live like the world because we think like the world. But here's the challenge. We don't have to think like the world because we have the mind of Christ. You have that identity. Live differently. Do better. Do better. Because Christ is worthy of our lives. He's worthy of our offering. He's worthy of the sacrifice of our praise. He's worthy. He's worthy of the distinction of our Christian living that's driven and fueled by the gospel that has gripped us, that informs us, that drives us, that distinguishes us. We think differently. The world is constantly inviting us to, to think like them, to, to, be, to be sucked into the rage machine of, of being a part of this silo or being a part of that silo or this tribe or, or that tribe. And, and this is how we respond and this is how we retort and this is how we get after each other. You have an identity. Think differently. Do you remember how you remember how Paul ends his letter to the Philippians? He says this. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, do you know the next line? Think about these things. And then he says, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you. They lived like the world because they thought like the world. God forbid. God forbid that be us. That we think differently. So we live differently. Let's go to our God in prayer. Father in heaven, thank you for the spirit of Christ who dwells with us. The mind of Christ who informs us. The will of Christ that directs us. Help us to think on these things. Help us to truly meditate on these things. To be captured by these things. 
Oftentimes, our life response to the situations in which we find ourselves are, are driven just by the impulses of our hearts and not by the reflections of our minds. We pray, Father, that we would not be caught up then in the things of this world and this life. But with that intentionality and calculation of mind and heart, we would seek to live lives of distinguishing honor and nobility to you, our Lord and our God. So thank you for your word. Thank you for your grace. And thank you, Lord, that you remind us of these things. We ask and pray, Father, for your patience. We praise you that you are long-suffering. And ask, Heavenly Father, now that you would accept our offering and our praise, both in our worship and in our voices, on our hearts, but also now, Lord, in the giving of our resources for the cause and for the work of the general fund. Continue to provide us as a congregation with all that we need that the gospel would shine forth from us, that it would capture us, lead us and guide us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.